0: So 1st Peter chapter 5 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 7 Let's read this real quick here The elders who are among you I exhort I Who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed Shepherd the flock of God Which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion, but willingly not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over the, lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. What does it mean to shepherd the flock? What are we to expect from our elders? How does it what does it mean to be part of that flock? How are we to associate with With one another within that flock how are we to treat each other and why does it ultimately end end up with submitting under the mighty hand of God does it really show that God cares for you Peter was once told by Jesus long ago in John chapter 21 to feed my lambs shepherd my sheep feed my sheep three different variations Of the same command that Jesus told Peter Peter Shepherd the flock and a few years later near the end of Peter's life he gives the same exact command to the elders first Peter chapter 5 verse 2 shepherd the flock of God which is among you but notice how he sets up this command he wasn't lording over the elders he wasn't placing himself superior to the elders But he says in verse one, I am, I who am a fellow elder, he includes himself as being on the same level as all the other elders. He is following his own advice that he is about to give in verse six, which is humility. Now humility and shepherding the flock of God go hand in hand. Peter has humility because he understands the gravity of what it means to shepherd the flock. Not only that, he understands the significance when he interacts with the fellow believers of that flock. He understands why it is so important to submit himself under the mighty hand of God, and he definitely has a good sense of that God does indeed care for him. Now, a shepherd is asked by God one day to take an unspotted lamb of his and take it to the altar to sacrifice it, to cleanse himself from the sins that he himself committed. For the bible says the wages of sin is death because of this because of his own sins blood had to be shed so he takes an unspotted lamb and sacrifices the lamb for his sins. it was so simple yet so hard emotionally and intellectually we have at one point explored this uh emotional response that is generated from the sacrifice of a lamb we liken it to the same emotional response that would be generated if we would have to sacrifice our own pet, like a dog or a cat. Or in Abraham's case, he was asked to sacrifice his own son. Elder W.D. Frisee had told his story of an experience when he was pastoring in Western City. He tells the story this way. Years ago, in a Western city where I pastored, one of the saddest funerals I ever heard of took place. A tiny toddler lay in a casket, and on the front seat there sat a, the mourning family. The father wept loudly, crushed with grief, for he had killed his own child. He had backed his car out of the garage to go to work, not realizing that the little fellow had left the breakfast table to follow Daddy. And so he told he had the toddler went into the path of the moving car. Broken-hearted father, he had killed his own boy. What a tragedy. Yet this is the emotional burden that each Israelite would have to go through because of their own sinful deed. Can you imagine how hard and solemn this experience was? The sinner is driven to realize the seriousness of their sin and the price that it cost. It was a valuable experience, an experience that was emotionally... And intellectually valuable yet for some there was no emotional response why was there no emotional response was it because they were battle-hardened war hardened or was it because they had gotten so used to seeing the lamb being slaughtered day after day maybe that could be true but more importantly it was because some of them have never developed developed a connection or a relation to that lamb. And perhaps this was on purpose so that they could avoid that emotional roller coaster that they would have to go through seeing their lamb being slaughtered. Some here today might be struggling, trying to conjure up some kind of emotional response to the reality of this lamb being sacrificed. And maybe it's on purpose, so you may also avoid that roller coaster. Or perhaps some of you are sincerely struggling, and oftentimes this is because. There was no connection, no relationship between you and the lamb. But the value of the lamb that is placed upon the lamb is not so easy to escape. The requirement of giving an unspotted lamb still drives that individual to realize the gravity of that sacrifice. So, this begs the question. What is the significance of giving an unspotted lamb? If you have gone through at least one evangelistic series, your answer would most likely be, well, because Jesus lived the perfect sinless life or something to that effect, right? That answer is actually theologically correct. It is a correct answer. But we want to find out today the practical significance to this sacrifice. And I had to do some research on this. It took me a, time, it took me a few, few, few days, weeks, or months, I'm not sure, to come, to, come up with this information. And uh, I found out what I found out was very interesting. I found out that there are many kinds of sheep in a flock. With today's breeding techniques, a shepherd is easily to easily able to breed a spotless sheep, uh, lamb that is uh, what the color they want. We know that in biblical times that the flock was littered with spotted and striped sheep. In Genesis chapter 30, we see that Jacob increased his flock by taking all the spotted and striped feet sheep. In biblical times, it was not so easy to have a perfectly unspotted sheep. And if the sheep even has one hair on their forehead or something, that was considered a spotted sheep. I also found out that the main income for the shepherd comes from the wool that they harvest off the sheep. And in turn that wool would be sold to somebody that will make yarn and the yarn will be sold to somebody that will make fabric and the fabric will be sold to somebody that will make clothes and somewhere along that line the yarn or the fabric or the clothes will be dyed into the desired color that they want okay so what's my point (laughs) what's this have to do with anything the point is this the wool would have to be perfectly white perfectly spotless for it to be dyed at its highest quality. In addition, a perfectly white wool would have the flexibility to be able to dye it into the desired color, any desired color. A spotted or black wool does not have either of that flexibility or the ability. In other words, an unspotted sheep is the most valuable sheep in the flock. It generates the highest income for the shepherd. It is something that you do not want to sell for meat or for anything because that is the highest value of the flock. It is something that you would want to put in a sheep safe if there is such a thing. It is the most valuable asset that shepherd can have. And God is now telling that shepherd, sacrifice that lamb. Sacrifice the highest value lamb in your flock. Surrender the most valuable thing that you have. There was a young man mentioned in Matthew chapter 19 that was asked to give up his riches and was not able to. Have no mistake. What God was asking of the shepherd to do was not an easy task emotionally, intellectually, or economically. The lamb, that lamb that went to the slaughter was the highest value emotionally, intellectually, And economically. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. In Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 through 5, we read one of my favorite imageries of the gospel message. It says in Zechariah chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angels of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand, opposing him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him and To him he said, See, I have removed your iniquities from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. This describes what happens to each and every one of us who accepts the gift of God, the gift that Jesus paid when he died on the cross and resurrected on that third day. He offers that clean, rich robe to you and to me. But notice, the filthy garments are taken away first. God removes your iniquities from you. Your sins are removed. This, that's why John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God takes away our unspotted clothes and makes us into unspotted lambs. Not a spot of taint, not even one hair is colored white as snow. And just like the unspotted lamb's wool, Jesus is now capable of dyeing us with his desired color. To put the colors of his character, he makes us the most valuable people in his sight. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says that Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. And when we take a look at Revelation, we see that Jesus is revealed as the faithful witness. We see that Jesus is revealed as the firstborn as the dead. We see that Jesus is revealed as the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is Jesus Christ that hung on that cross with nails in His hands for you and for me. Jesus Christ who washes us with His blood. He is the one who is depicted in Revelation 19 riding a white horse symbolizing a victorious, conquering, triumphal king. He has never lost a battle before, never lost a war. The one who will defeat Satan. From Revelation chapter 1 to chapter 22, there is a hero and his name is Jesus Christ. But among all of these symbols of Jesus Christ in Revelation, one stands out prominent more than any other. And that is the Lamb. The Lamb is, Jesus is depicted as being the Lamb 27 times in Revelation. However, when we hear the word lamb, we don't really associate power and majesty worthy of our praise or worship. When we hear the word lamb, we think weak. When we hear the word lamb, we think cute. We think cuddly, right? We need to protect the lamb. But in Revelation, we see that this lamb that is mentioned, all of heaven is worshiping. All of heaven are singing praises to this lamb. In Revelation, we see that the dragon-like beast attacks this lamb. We see that the beast with seven heads and ten horns making war against this lamb. We see that the woman riding on a scarlet-colored beast uniting church and state battles against this lamb. We see the great power, the city of Satan called Babylon attacking the lamb. But each time the lamb is triumphal. The lamb defeats all of them. The lamb is victorious over them. In the book of Revelation, the lamb wins and Satan loses. If you are on the lamb's side, you are on the winning side. But why would God choose such an innocent animal like the lamb to represent his son? That's because what the lamb represented. Not just the symbolism that is given in the sanctuary, but also because the lamb symbolized the highest value economically, emotionally, and intellectually. God asked His people to give their most valuable valuable possession. But God did not ask of them what He Himself was not willing to do. God gave what was most valuable to Him. God gave His only begotten Son, the Lamb of God, to be slaughtered for you and for me, so that we may be unspotted, so that we can be the most valuable people in the sight of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 chapter 6 verse 20 says for you were bought at a price therefore glorify god in your body in your spirit which are god's that price is of the highest value the value of the son of god the lamb of god the unspotted untainted lamb of god you are all valuable because god makes you valuable and what is valuable to god he cares about deeply God cares for you and for me. Peter was once told by Jesus in chapter John chapter 21 to shepherd the flock in three different variations. And a few years later, near the end of his life, Peter gives the same command that was given to him years ago in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. But notice how he steps up, sets up the command. He wasn't lording over the elders. He wasn't placing himself superior to the elder. But he says in verse 1, I who am a fellow elder, he includes himself at the same level as all the other elders. He is following his own vice that he is about to give in verse 6. Humility. Humility and shepherding the flock go hand in hand. Peter has humility because he understands the gravity of what it means to shepherd the flock. Not only that, he understands the significance when he, he interacts with the fellow believers in the flocks. He understands why it is so important to submit himself under the mighty hand of God and he has a deep sense that God does indeed care for him. When the elder shepherds the flock, he is shepherding those lambs that are of the most utmost value. He is shepherding those lambs that God has brought, bought at the highest price possible. He is shepherding those lambs, each and every single lamb, that have been washed by the blood of the lamb. The elder is called to shepherd the flock. And this flock is the most valuable thing on earth. And no wonder Peter says in verse 2, Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When the elder realizes what he is called to do, like Peter did, He realizes the heavy responsibility that has been placed on his shoulders. Many of you know that I've used to work at a bank. And when I was working at the bank, I was entrusted with password keys and keys and codes. And I had access to millions, if not billions of dollars at my fingertips. But that money that was was entrusted to me was not my money. Customers expected to come back to find their money to be in the same exact Condition or better condition. if anything negative happened, I would have lost my job or even worse, go to prison. It was a heavy responsibility to have. and why was this to a banker? It's just numbers on the screen, right? No, it wasn't just numbers on the screen. Those numbers were that was entrusted to me represented the hard work that each and every customer had to go through to have that money. It represented the sacrifice that they sacrificed time that they put through. And to most of them, it represented their worth, their value in society. And I was entrusted with that. No wonder I would get in trouble if I were to mishandle their money. Yet all of that cannot even come close to the heavy responsibility that God has placed on the elders. Elders and pastors, that's including me, do you understand the responsibility that God has called you to? Do you understand what you are shepherding is more valuable than gold or silver? More valuable than diamonds or precious stones? You are shepherding those who have been bought at a price. All of a sudden, the church's Christ's body sounds more real. Jesus literally sacrificed himself for his church. Sometimes we forget this. Peter says, shepherd the flock, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. This is where somebody, someone might be getting excited and telling themselves in your head, yeah, elders, do your job. But wait a minute, hold your sheep. Peter is not done yet. Peter continues, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Sheeps are, sheep are not so bright. They're not the smartest animals that you can find out there. They like to follow each other. If one sheep goes one way, all the other sheep will follow them. If one sheep jumps off the cliff, all the other sheep will jump off the cliff. As humans, don't we do something similar? We follow trends and fads. and e- Even if it's uh, something that is destructive to our lives. and Probably the most destructive ones are alcohol and tobacco there are many other ones that are destructive as humans we are not so bright as we think we are however there is a breed of sheep that is called leadership, a leader sheep this sheep knows not to run off the cliff this sheep knows when danger is close and so shepherds would take this leadership special breed kind of breed of sheep and place them into his, their flock so that the flock will be safer but the leadership is a sheep nonetheless The leadership is just, just has a higher responsibility. Only difference between the leadership and regular sheep is that the leadership is leading by their examples. Peter says, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So elders, are you leading by your examples? I actually think that this principle applies to all of us. All leaders. That includes deacons. Deaconesses, Sabbath school teachers, and Christians, all Christians. Some may say, well, isn't that taking a little bit too far? All Christians, really? I think so. Don't we say that we lead others to Christ? That if you're a Christian, we will lead others to Christ? So after all, it turns out that we are all leaders. So are you leading by example or are you a part-time Christian, part-time deacon, part-time deaconesses, only leading on Sabbath? or is it a day-to-day thing that you are doing it says and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away the elder also is part of the flock with the chief shepherd jesus christ as the shepherd that is why the young are told to submit to the elder the elder are the leader sheep that jesus our lord and shepherd has placed in the flock to lead but more so when we interact with the elders we are also interacting with a sheep that is bought at a price. We forget this sometimes, that elders are also a precious sheep that is valuable to God. That elders, that elder is part of the flock with the chief shepherd leading him. Being an elder is nothing to be proud about, but it is a chance to grow in Christ, submitting to His will all along the way. And in, in turn, As the elders lead, it is a chance for the flock, all of us, to grow by submitting to our leadership. Peter continues his advice, but he focuses on everyone else. We can't keep picking on the elders, right? Verse 5. Likewise, you young people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter first focuses on the younger generation to submit themselves to the older generation. Uh, there's a lot that we could learn from the older generation. When I was younger, I didn't really listen to my father. I didn't listen to, uh, the elders, elder people that were older than me. And I thought I knew better than them. I thought they were just old people that didn't know anything, but my father was pretty adamant about not listening to secular music. Uh, and and Christian rock music to, for that matter but I thought I knew better I said, well Christian light rock you know it's not rock it's light rock so I guess it's okay after all they're talking about Christ right so I started listening to that even though my parents told me not to and then eventually I got bored of that and I started listening to secular light rock it's still light rock and and I'm just gonna pick the love songs after all the Bible is all about love right? So I started listening to that and one thing led to another and a few years down the line I was listening to heavy metal and hip hop and in my case those music that I was listening to talked about secular things like alcohol, drugs, money and fornication. So it was not uh, so it was a natural step for me to just go into the things that I was listening to and it all started from not submitting myself to the elders, my elders. When Peter says, younger people, submit, to yourself, uh, submit yourselves to your elders, he doesn't mean blind submission. He means the younger are to respect the experience and judgment of the elders. And it wasn't until recently I found out that my father was actually into the songs that I listened to long ago. And he was speaking out of experience how dangerous those things were. Those who are older than us most likely have more experience about life. So it's very smart to heed the words of the elders. We don't have to make the same mistakes. We don't have to go through the same hardships if we could avoid it. Following this, Peter now addresses the entire body of believers, the whole flock, and says to be clothed with humility. This word clothed in the original Greek language actually comes from slave culture. A slave used to uh, tie an apron around himself, which came to be regarded as a sign of servitude and marked him as one whose duty it was to minister to the desires of others. So Peter is trying to create this imagery here to a mutual relationship of humility, servitude towards each other. To put on humility as as a slave would put on his apron. Just as Jesus humbles himself to come from the heavenly kingdom to the earthly, just as Jesus humbled himself to go on the cross and die for us, and just as Jesus humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet. Don't let Satan taint you with his colors of pride, jealousy, licentiousness, or any other ungodly trait, but especially pride. Because guess what? Peter continues God resists the proud. Resist in the Greek means to rage, battle against. Being prideful is a serious matter. God abhors pride. He battled against pride. We don't want to be on the opposite side of God because we know already from Revelation that being on the Lamb side is on being on the winning side. Anything against the lamb is on the losing side. So, we want to be on the side of the winning side. So allow God to continue to color color you in His righteous character. Have humility because God will give you grace. That's what verse 5 continues to say. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Ultimately, all of this should lead to humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. When we humble ourselves to each other, we're humbling ourselves to those sheep that have been bought at a price. Those sheep that have been made extremely valuable in the sight of God. When we humble ourselves to each other, it's as if we're humbling ourselves to Jesus Christ Himself. When we do not humble ourselves, we are rebelling against God. God resists the proud. God raises a battle against the proud because we are not merely humbling ourselves to, to a person, but to a precious lamb that was bought at a price, that was cleansed by the blood of God. Peter tops it off by saying, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. And indeed God does care for us. After knowing all this, that's the only conclusion that you come to. There's nothing to be anxious about, nothing to be scared about, nothing to worry about. If you are seen at such a high value by God, He will not forsake you. God has invested above and beyond to redeem you. Jesus has paid this ultimate price And when we cast our cares upon Him, you can be sure that God will embrace you and give you the assurance that you need. You are valuable to God and we are to treat each other with that same value. God cares for you and we are to have the same care for each other. Now many of you may be thinking, I knew all of this. I know that God cares for me. I knew that I needed to be humble and all of that. But you know what is sad? You know what is sad to me and to Jesus? That there are many out there today that, they don't, that do not know that God cares for them. That they have a value. That Jesus died for them. So my question is, will you lead others to the flock? Will you go and let others know the value of their life? How much God sacrificed for them that they don't have to live in anxiety that they don't have to live with worry on their hearts they don't have to live with fear will you go and tell them let's pray our father in heaven i thank you for the value that you have placed on us each and every one of us i thank you that you have bought us with a price the price of your son Lord, please help us to realize this value that you have placed upon our lives. Not only that, help us to understand the value that you have placed on those that are around us. Help us to be leaderships, to lead others to you, to let others know that they are valuable in the sight of God, that God makes them valuable. Please help us to be able to humble ourselves to one another, realizing the value of each other. I pray these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.